Yeah, my name is Desmond, and I hail from Chicago, the windy city, and I've been here in Amsterdam for the last couple months. Uh, my time here is coming to a close, but uh, it's, it's been a great couple months here. Um, I'm Laura. I'm from Los Angeles, but I go to school in San Francisco, and I have a month left in Europe, so it's pretty close, but not as close as these guys, so I'm enjoying it as much as I can. Uh, my name is Anthony. I am from northern New Jersey, and I study in Washington, D.C. I, as well, am coming to the end of my lovely four months in Amsterdam, and I'm glad I'm able to do this panel. I'm really excited. Hey, everyone. This is Clownfish, a podcast about queer issues. I'm joined here today with three lovely people from the U.S. We met at the Gay Student Association in Amsterdam. After the recent elections, we were curious on how our international friends see their future in a Trump world, and we decided to host a roundtable interview. So let's start with the victory of Trump. Yeah, because <laughs> did you see that coming? So I remember talking no. to a few of you, and I was like, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm still shook. I will forever yeah, be I, shook. <laughs> I, the, the, this is where the tear comes. Cue the tears. No. <laughs> I'm. I am. Um, I was. I was just kind of like hit with it, like shock, but I'm not surprised. I guess like I didn't. I didn't think it was going to happen, or I was kind of. I wasn't letting myself think it was going to happen. And then when it happened, like I saw a lot of people posting like, "This is not the country I know," or "I can't believe this happened." It's like, what are you talking about? Like, we were founded on racism. We were founded on murdering Native Americans. We were founded on sexism, and. Like, I don't know, like, slavery and racism have not gone away in America. They've just evolved, and it's kind of gone down this different channel. And it looks nicer on paper, but it's the same kind of mechanisms at work. And so it makes a lot of sense to me that people voted through racist ideals and xenophobia. And instead of blaming the billionaires and blaming the corporations and blaming the bank blaming the banks which are the cause of like the economic problems we have let's blame my muslim neighbor let's blame the mexicans so it's kind of it makes sense to me but i'm still like just i can't believe i have to go back to that and like that's like i keep like forgetting it and i'm like oh it's things are okay and then i like see like trump said some dumb thing and i'm just like i have like that's happening like it, it's not going away and so it's just kind of it's like every like week or so, it's like forget, kind of mm. chill out, and then it comes back to you, and then you're kind of, mm, I don't know yeah. how to feel about it. It's like when I when I first found out, I cried, and I like I Same. felt like like a member of my family had died, or like, but it was so like more surreal than that. Like it wasn't like that kind of pain, but it was that kind of like shock and like just so extreme. I guess I don't know how to. It was oh, the one of the weirdest things I've ever like felt like knowing that that was like reality. Yeah, because mm -hmm. you were all here in the. Yeah. In the Netherlands, mm -hmm. when yeah. it happened. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with, like, totally your shock. Mm -hmm. Like, I felt the exact same way. But I disagree a little with, like, the diagnosis of why I think mm -hmm. he won. But um, it was just, I felt a similar way. Like, I was just like, wow. Like, I was scared for numerous things happening like for instance i was like who is he gonna appoint to the supreme court is he really gonna overturn marriage equality overturn abortion decisions like is he gonna literally knock on people's doors and 
ask people to show their papers and deport people. Like, is he actually going to, is that what America is going to become? Is he going to say something stupid on Twitter to incite some sort of terrorist activity in a major city? Like I live in Washington. My parents both work in New York. Like I was scared. Like I, now I'm a little more, now I have a more optimistic take. I know that's very negative, but now I've like tried to sort of like look forward, I guess. And I, I'm not, I'm not scared anymore, I guess I would say, but I think why it's so surprising for people in our generation, all of us, is because like we live, we don't live in Trump country. Like in our world, Hillary Clinton was the clear winner. Like all our universities, everywhere we're from, Hillary Clinton won big and in fact probably bigger than ever before. Like California, her margin was insane. Like millions and millions of votes. Like so like for me, I don't have any Trump supporting friends. Like I don't have anyone that I can like relate to, to understand why. But I think it's like a complex thing that I think for what, for, I think that people in a certain part of the country were struggling and Trump was like their answer to that. They're like Hillary Clinton represented the same thing that was already happening. And to them, Trump was a chance to change things. And, um, I think that for us living in very liberal places with liberal views and with the media sort of always reinforcing our view and always telling us that Hillary's going to win, Trump is awful, we sort of didn't, no one really understood these like millions of people in the country. And I don't think, I think racism played a huge role in his campaign. I think xenophobia played a huge role in his campaign. But I don't think that that's why like the whatever 60, 50 million people voted for him. I don't think that was the main motivation. I think in many ways he represented a change for people. So, yeah. Yeah, and like I had what like everything that's already been said, I was devastated, shook. <laughs> Upset is an understatement. Um, and just because of the time difference, it was something that I woke yeah. up to. It wasn't, you know, something that I watched and cringed, and maybe that was better <sighs> for it. I was allowed to, you know, have one more night's rest under the illusion that, you know, I had some hope. But, you know, what was so interesting is that, you know, when I got the opportunity, uh, you know, as, as, as I always do, I call my mother, <laughs> call my grandmother, and, you know, just to to debrief and also because the time changes you know and because my mother knows when to turn off the tv and when to do whatever so i mm. call her and you know it's afternoon or in you know just midday and in, in, in amsterdam and it's you know just morning in chicago and she had barely woken up um and she hadn't heard the news yet uh and so i'm the one who has to break it to her and you know even though i know my mother well enough that i knew exactly what her reaction was uh and you know there were no tears there was no screaming you know uh, and as I said before, she was like, well, this is just the, the fight that we have to continue to struggle. You know, don't underestimate <laughs> the capacity of <laughs> white citizens of the United States. Yeah. Don't underestimate, uh, you know, the, the racism that exists. Um, yeah, I do agree that I think, you know, for whatever reason, Trump was able to tap into, you know, some the... Um, you know, the the rural American, the disillusioned American. And yeah, they are experiencing problems that need to be addressed. But at the same time, uh, you know, what Trump represents, what he has said, what people who he surrounds himself with represents, has shown that we're in for a rough four years. 
And you know, I do like what uh, political commentator Van Jones has said, and that, <laughs> and it's kind of comical, but I believe it's it's quite true that what we're experiencing is white lash, uh, white backlash, and that you know the <laughs> white Americans cannot fathom the fact that they've lived eight years under a black president. Now they're going to have a woman president. It's just it was it was too much for them. <laughs> And, you know, and as funny as that sounds, you know, that's true because we have not seen the level of racism and disrespect to President Obama that we've in no president has experienced that while in office. Uh, so much so that they were so vocal about it. I mean, you know, the KKK has openly supported Trump and Trump who has refused to denounce the KKK. <laughs> and the fact that Trump was the initiator or the legitimizer, I'd say, of the birther movement. Yeah, the like whole Trump, the Trump. whole concept <laughs> that, that Barack Obama wasn't born mm-hmm. in the country, in the United States. And yeah, my it father took him like five or six years to even get over it. Oh, no, yeah. even when he saw it physically, it. he still, still he didn't over get over it. As my dad will tell you, because my dad is not a hardcore Trump supporter, he doesn't like Trump, but he voted for Trump. Oh I know God. it was not not a pleasant conversation, <laughs> but um, he he will still tell you that the the um, the full length birth certificate has still not been released, like the official one. Uh And it's also, I was talking to my dad, and he thought that Obama converted from, he was initially a Muslim. He was raised a Muslim and converted to Christianity. I'm like, that's not true. (laughs) Right, but you know, and even if that was true, what is wrong with that? You know, I've heard this before where people, you know, the whole birth and movement thing, oh, he was born in Kenya. Oh, you know, we don't know where his roots are. Is he truly American? Uh, You know, he might even be Muslim. Uh, Hold on a second, as if like, you know, being Muslim is such a bad thing. And so then not only are we, you know, demonizing, uh, you know, but also this whole religion, you know, fear mongering, you know, making people fear and demonize and hate religions and people. And, And, you know, that's the whole thing that that came out of it. Uh, you know, the fear of the other to, you know, protect this Americanness is all of all of a sudden under attack. And so, you know, no, I'm not surprised that Trump was elected. You know, if I really sat down and thought about it, I'd be like, yeah, the, the nation has the capacity to do that. But, you know, it was like, damn, I thought we came farther. You know, I thought I thought we were a little better than that. Or, you know, I thought the powers that be would stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, there's still... Um, I don't know. I think it's pretty I think his the the way that people have reacted to him winning is what terrifies me the most because mm-hmm. like the the things that he could do I mean being a woman they will impact me more but being white I definitely have a lot of privilege and if anything kind of gets passed or anything get changed um but I think like what's terrifying is there's been so many attacks against like Muslim people or Mexican people or Latino people. And I think that's like what's terrifying or like swastikas are being drawn everywhere. There's this white nationalist group and they call themselves the alt-right, which they're not, they're neo-Nazis. And I refuse to call them anything but neo-Nazis or white nationalists because that's what they are. And they have like rebranded themselves in the media as like, oh, they're dapper, they're sexy. Like, look at this cute Nazi family. And it's like, I guess I get it because they want to. They want the viewers. They want the the story. But it just seems so similar to what's happened in like the rise of fascism before that we've seen. It just seems kind of like mm-hmm. like we're just falling into the same trap. And I think my only kind of like goal is to just like fight it as much as possible and join any kind of resistance because I can't. I'm not going to just sit and be witness to because obviously being a queer woman 
my rights will be affected and just being a human being who needs health care and those kind of things will be affected but more so for people who are going to be so much more affected than me like I can't just like sit by and let like Muslim people get attacked like next to me or something like that so that's what's scary is the way that it affects people like now he won I can be openly racist now he won I can tag a swastika on a wall and go yell at someone who's a like an immigrant or I think is an immigrant just based off what I what they look like oh like Trump won get the fuck out like when someone who's lived here for like three generations like their family's been here for like generations and they assume they can yeah but what angers me more is that you know those people have already always existed you know Trump has just emboldened them to be public about it but what angers me more and what scares me more is the complacency of everyone else is that you know people are now accepting this as the new normal people are now saying well this is Trump's America and you know people who are able to say that are are people speaking from privilege because that doesn't necessarily affect them you know um but you know, going back to the saying, if you are silent and and situations of injustice, you're on the side of the oppressor. You know, so quickly have people just come to acknowledge that this is just the way it's going to be, uh, and to refusing to call it for what it is, to call it racist, and refusing to say that it's unacceptable and that it's not, you know, the ideals that we so claim. Um, and you know, there are strings of resistance. There are people that are fighting um, and are trying to make sure that um, the progress and the work and how far we've come continues to go in the right direction and not reverse. But to me, it seems like those voices are more and more being marginalized. I mean, even though we've had this past two or three years, uh, you know, with the... um, you know, with the birth of the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, a lot of these um, movements and, and, and activists that have uh, been empowered to call out racism. And I think a lot of that, too, has to do with the Obama presidency, you know. Uh, but, you know, what I'm seeing is that those voices are are quickly becoming marginalized and replacing them is this complacency that, yes, Trump's America is racist and we paint swastikas on the wall and we... Or it's reverse racism if you Mm -hmm. speak out against it. Or Um, you're just as bad as a fascist (laughs) if you call them out or you say that they shouldn't be allowed to say those kind of things. Yeah, I I agree that that's 100% my least favorite part of a Trump presidency is the fact that it sort of emboldens the Islamophobic things he says, emboldens the like racist things he says and sort of gives people who think that way like, oh, it's okay that I think that way because the president thinks that way, obviously. But I, one thing I do want to add, like we're painting obviously a very grim picture. I want to say two things. One thing, first I want to say is my biggest gripe with Republicans in the last eight years is that they never gave Obama a chance. They never gave him the Retweet. benefit. Retweet. They never gave him the benefit of the doubt. They assumed from the start that his intentions were bad. Anything he did... Even if it was good, they couldn't acknowledge it because they thought in their heads that what he was doing was inherently to make America worse. He wasn't like inherently he was just trying to strip whatever if you were a white person trying to strip white people of money or rich people of their money or whatever else like he just was against you from the start. And I think that really and I think he said Obama in one of his recent State of the Union addresses that one that's one of his biggest like regrets is that he wasn't the the political disunity sort of grew under him, that there wasn't more of a coalescing, that it's we became more polarized. So I think that with Trump, though, I think it's important for 
liberal, open-minded people to sort of give him the same thing and not fall into the trap of thinking that everything he's going to do in the next four years, hopefully it's only four years, is, um, is inherently bad. I think we have to look at it objectively and look at exactly what he does. And now I want to say the two quick positive things about Donald Trump and queerness. Donald Trump is the first president elected in the first president elected in the United States that is supports same-sex marriage. When Barack Obama was elected, he did not support same-sex marriage. I think that's a testament to our society, American society, becoming more liberal, more accepting of homosexuals. Number two, if you remember in the primaries, he was actually very much not, I wouldn't say very much, but in support of trans rights, like with the whole bathroom issue, he, uh, he was asked in an interview if Caitlyn Jenner went to the Trump Tower, what bathroom would she be, which would you allow her to use? And he said, whichever bathroom she prefers. So I were, and then the other Republicans like Ted Cruz and the more socially conservative ones attacked him, attacked him, and it didn't work. And I sort of, if I remember when Donald Trump won the primary, I was devastated, but the one good thing I thought about it was that it sort of, to me, was the death of social conservatism because this guy was pro-abortion for forever until recently where now he's, pro, now, he's, um, now he's pro-life, but before he was pro-abortion. He's not openly anti-gay at all. He supports same-sex marriage. He, wore, he brought a flag up on stage. So I think that there are certain things that we can look at in terms of Donald Trump in queerness that could actually, that are, that, there's some silver lining, I think, or I find silver lining. In it. And I understand others that don't and others that are scared. But I, again, I think it's important that we make sure that we give him what Obama deserved in the sense that like, we don't assume that every decision he makes and everything he does is rooted, is coming from a bad place. Because I don't think necessarily it is. I do think it's interesting the way that Trump has responded to um, kind of more socially liberal things. But I think the fact that he changes his mind every five minutes is terrifying to me because if one week the way his mind is going is something that goes against like my identity, that's an issue. And also his running mate is even more terrifying, especially with gay, like queer um, Issues like he thinks that gay people can be electrocuted into being straight uh, and that sex can only be for procreation. And if you're in a mar- if you're in a marriage, a heterosexual marriage and you can't afford a baby, you should not have sex. You don't even get to have the right to birth control in a, in a marriage, in a heterosexual marriage. So I think that is what's terrifying is that his running mate is like that. And I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. But after what happened with Cheney and Bush, we can see that the vice president does have, he's got something going on and he can, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I think that is what scares me with, with in regards to queer uh, politics and uh, Trump's campaign. I don't want to be put in a position to defend Mike Pence. Like that's the last thing I want to do. But I want to do, I want to say though, that I think what Mike Pence needs to do is publicly denounce conversion therapy because I honestly don't think he believes in it. I think he, I think the statement he made about supporting it was from like a newsletter or a speech from like 10, 20 years ago when the conversation about gay rights was very different. Where very few, where neither Barack Obama nor Hillary Clinton supported gay marriage. Um, I think that Mike Pence is in a very is in a tricky position because. He doesn't want to, his one issue like to be 
queer issues. Like that's not his number one priority. He doesn't talk about it ever. Even if you remember, he was he did the religious freedom bill in Indiana, which said that businesses can legally discriminate against people if they for religious reasons. Um, even with that, when he was put on the spot about it, he actually changed the law. He didn't like talking about it. I don't think he's this vocal anti-queer person, but I think he doesn't want to address it because then he gets questions about it. I think he's clearly uncomfortable by homosexuality and by the whole issue, but I don't think it's as like dire as like he wants to institute conversion therapy and he's going to influence Trump to do that. I think I, I, I think I don't think he's I it's not a number one priority for him in my opinion. And and I would entertain, you know, that line of uh, thought and that kind of rationale if it wasn't for the fact that these are the people that are going to be ruling the country for the next 4 years. I mean, okay, you're uncomfortable about it, but there's going to be a lot no. of uncomfortable conversations that you're going to need to have and I'm you sure, have to understand yeah. that you have to you, that the decisions that these people are making are not, you know, just their personal values and personal beliefs, but are affecting a nation and, you know, the United States being the power that it is in the world, uh, arguably is going to have such an impact on the history and the histories to come. And so, you know, I to be honest, um, you know, I haven't read up on, you know, what Pence's idea or Trump's ideas, to be honest, about, um, you know, gay rights and homosexuality and whatnot. In fact, for because for the longest time, uh, you know, I just refused to read anything about them uh, because I just didn't want to give my time and energy to such foolishness. Now I guess I have to start paying attention because they're actually the people in office. But, you know, I don't want to... Uh, you know, give this, them the kind of benefit of the doubt thing that, oh, maybe he doesn't really believe it. And, you know, if you look at his record, he gets, you know, he kind of pedals back on a little bit. But at the end of the day, he is the one making the decisions and, you know, these actions that and the decisions that he makes are going to affect, you know, the people today that live in this country, that live in the United States, and then are going to affect the history from there on out. Because, you know, we say, oh, this next four years, are we going to get it through it? Is it going to be bad, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not just the next four years. It's the laws and the policies than the legacy that's going to be left behind, which is a, a taste in our mouths that is going to be there for a long time. Yeah. I think Mike Pence, I think, I mean, I think it's reprehensible for anyone to not openly support queer people. And I think a lot of the Republican Party doesn't, and they're uncomfortable with it, even though gay marriage has passed and, it's a, and we've legalized in the United States now. I think a lot of people still... It's like a queasy issue for them, and I think that's awful. I think it sucks. But I do think that, like, I I really just don't think that it it benefits the dialogue to, like, to make claims about people's opinions that aren't necessarily true. And I think that's ha- a lot of that happened with President Obama, and I just think that we should try to make the dialogue more about what their policies are going to be. And I honest, and I think to be honest, I don't think Trump's policy is gonna is very queer people focused. In like for better or for worse, I don't think it's something he particularly cares about. I don't. I don't think it's something like Mike Pence particularly cares about. I don't think we're gonna see him talk about it really. I mean, but I, there's so much that needs to be because like gay course, gay yeah. marriage is like like to me not kind of being eh, it's on the back burner isn't good enough. Like no, I wish there's. Yeah. I think not be working with the system we have, but changing the system. I think that's more of what I'm kind of, what is important to me of, well, maybe he won't do this, maybe he'll do this, maybe his policies or whatever, but to me, we have to be changing the system. We have to be... Do you think that's possible? 
I mean, I don't like know. Anthony, <laughs> that's the problem. Anthony, don't get me wrong. I mean, I want, I don't want to go into, you know, fly back to the states and think that the next four years they're going to be living hell. I would let you know. I'm in my 20s. I want to be able to, yeah. you know, get out there and live freely and you know, live my own truth, etc. But you know, please, you know, and to anyone who listens to this, don't disillusion yourself and and like the people who voted for him and and pretend that you know that things aren't going to happen that are going to be harmful for queer people and are going to be harmful for people of color and for immigrants and for poor people. Uh, don't don't think that you know that's not possible. We need to be. We don't need to disillusion ourselves, and we don't need to normalize the actual hate uh, that is being peddled. And it's dangerous, and there's severe consequences. And also, with it. the queer thing, is that a lot of, even if it's not directly impacting queer people or targeted towards queer people, if there's something that kind of affects housing or affects money or affects how much, like minimum wage or jobs or thing, those kind of things, it affects queer people first. Trans mm-hmm. people, trans people of mm-hmm. color, trans black women are mm-hmm. like, they are much more likely to be um, prone to violence. They can't get housing because people don't trust that they are the gender that they are they can't get jobs because of the same reason and so if they are going to be affected first or they are going to be affected more so than other people Mm -hmm. um and so i think it does it kind of intersectionality is really important to keep in mind even if i do agree what you guys are saying about the we can't just be like i disagree with this person i hate them we can't even look at him but we do need to recognize the way that intersectionality goes into policy because it can't just it's not like oh well this gets passed and only affects one person or only affects one group of people. There's people that are in different groups and mm-hmm. they can be affected in different ways because of like money can affect a lot of different things or like jobs, housing, those kind of things right. have healthcare have really big kind of effects in like a broader scheme um, or with like hormones and stuff of if birth control and those kind of things are going to be. I don't know what's going to happen, but if there's more regulation or it's harder to get them, that affects trans women, that affects trans men, that affects women, that affects. So it's there's I think it's important to think about, of course, like what you're saying about the ways that it it goes past government, because like we were talking about of like attacks and violence and stuff like if there it just kind of gives people the the freedom and the the strength to act out in ways and that has power and I think that can even have more power than in in some cases than like the politicians do of if you are going to get beat up walking down the street you don't care about some random bill that's getting passed you care about the fact that you're going to get beat up and someone's going to or could try to kill you so and I mean on the other end of the coin I mean look at what Obama has done for for so many people regardless of his policy you know I remember uh, for the community of color for the black community to have a black president and so uh and what he did he he encouraged so many people he encouraged me I mean to be honest my whole conscious being I was 12 when he was elected my whole coming of age was under uh, a black presidency and that was absolutely beautiful that was inspiring for a a young black boy and for many you know young black people uh, and and people of color throughout uh, you know the country and even beyond Uh, and so just to have that figure um, you know actually I remember people uh, there was this one conversation uh, that I was actually just irritated, so I didn't engage in it, but I was, you know, the I overheard it. And this guy said, 
you know, well, what have Obama done for me? And this is the black guy. Uh, you know, what has Obama done for me? Yeah, yeah, I voted for him, but, you know, well, I, I ain't feel nothing about it. Uh, and, you know, this woman uh, says, well, you know, your son is growing up knowing that he can be president, mm-hmm. you know. And, and yeah. uh, he has someone to look up to. Who does he look up to? He looks up to the president. He knows that that's an attainable thing. And, you know, regardless of, you can't even quantify that. You can quantify health care. You can quantify uh, you know, the unemployment rate or the GDP and, you know, all these different measures that we've used to, uh, you know, assess Obama's success as a president. But, um, you know, what what can't be quantified and what is absolutely so powerful is the fact that he's been a role model and such an incredible figure to a whole generation of people and beyond uh, and has been, you know, for many people, the culmination of generations of of struggle, you know, when my grandmother, who's 80-some years old, gets on a plane and goes to D.C. to see the first black president inaugurated, it's not just because she got an extra few hundred dollars in her pocket. It's because something amazing is happening. And, you know, and understanding that and coming from from that, now we have the opposite end of the coin that, you know, that's, um, you know, we have to, the greatness that uh, you know, Obama was, we ha- We can't disillusion ourselves and think that, you know, oh, we're just going to ride out these little four years. We have to be aware. And what do you guys think the U.S. government could do to benefit queer rights? Hmm. Not just accept that gay marriage is what gay people want or, like, the only thing that we want? Yeah, and to I think, think that's the end-all be-all. I think yeah. national anti-discrimination laws, and actually... Yes. I would. I think that we need to amend the 1965 Civil Rights Act and add sexual orientation as a category that's protected from discrimination by private businesses. For me, on that whole like wedding cake issue, I just think that in 1965, like we decided as a country that pub, if you're a business that's open to the public, you can't discriminate against someone. And I think whether that's race, religion, sex, I think homosexual, like sexual orientation should be added to that list. And I think that put a lot, would put a lot of those issues to rest. And I, I understand at that time that wasn't gay rights weren't a, a thing that people really openly discussed in the mainstream politics. But I think sexual orientation should be added to the 1965 Civil Rights Act laws in general. I think that that's important. I think we need to talk about gender and transgender um, individuals or gender nonconforming people, but more so transgender just for the health um, health care side of it. I think that needs to be, they need to have much more access to safe and easy and I would say free, but that's that doesn't seem like uh, something that's going to be happening anytime soon, but at least like low cost um, hormones and medical treatment and being able to go to a doctor that doesn't disbelieve them. And I think that that's like something that we kind of like the way I have seen it a lot is kind of like when people think about like gay rights it's like this commercialized like marketed like cute like white gay couple and their like son that they adopted from Africa or something and they're like beautiful and yeah they're like beautiful (laughs) and like this perfect like gay couple and maybe like one lesbian couple or something and there's no kind of variation in the way that both gender and sexuality kind of arise and I think at the very least we need to like acknowledge it more and talk about it more and I think anti-discrimination laws for sure access to health care needs to be broader 
the bathroom thing. We should not even be fucking arguing about that. And there should be, I think there should be gender neutral bathrooms everywhere. But if we're not going to do that, at least let people use the bathroom right. that they, they feel like they want to yeah. use. And mm-hmm. I think things like that are at the very least, like can make a statement of like, we're not going to just like accept this. And there's still places where you can get fired for being gay. And so, yeah, yeah we need to like definitely it needs to be a talking point and it needs to be a talking point past just like rich gay guys and it definitely gender i think is something we really need to be talking about yeah i think you know the country has got to the point where oh we legalize gay marriage and that you know gay marriage a thing that that was the end all be all and that you know we've achieved we've achieved it uh, and, you know, just as everything that's been said, it's not there yet. And you know, there are people in the queer community that are still hurting, that are still disadvantaged, that are still vulnerable. And that vulnerability uh, can be exploited very easily. And as we've already said, you know, uh, they're some of the first people to feel unemployment and to feel, uh, you know, cuts in health care and cuts in spending and et cetera. They're the first people out on the streets. They're the first people, uh, you know, in the homeless shelters. And, you know, we need to acknowledge that. And sometimes, you know, people say that and, the, and we'll be like, well, those aren't queer issues. Well, yes, they're queer issues because all issues are queer issues because of intersectionality, because, you know, you're not just affected by one axis of, of oppression. And, uh, you know, until, you know, that's understood and even before it's understood until, you know, we acknowledge that and do something about it, you know, we still have a lot of work to go, a lot of, a lot of work to be done. <laughs> What do you expect from the LGBTQI community now? What do you, um, mm-hmm. how do you see the future of that? Actually, I've, I I think in, in terms of the community, I'm, I'm actually very excited about what is what is to come. Uh, and you know, we briefly touched on this earlier, but you know, within the last you know three four years, we've seen like this rise in like Black Lives Matter, and you know, with that other activist movements. And I would say those movements are very much intersectional. If you look at the founders, quote unquote, of Black Lives Matter, they're all queer women, queer women of color. And I don't know if you guys have the same experience, but you know, it seems like queer women of color are some powerful people. And have been. <laughs> forever <laughs> and have been forever and will continue to be you know shout out to our queer women of color and so you know whenever i think about activism on campus there are these key figures that i think of um and you know and they're fighting so many fronts they're fighting sexism because they're a woman or you know or female bodied and they're fighting racism because they're of color and then they're fighting homophobia because they're queer and you know so it's never just one fight that you're fighting and so If you pay attention, and if you not even look hard enough, but if you just pay attention, uh, you know, we're in this point where, you know, there's certain areas of our society that are are advancing and pushing for our rights. And maybe this is a, a high note that we can, you know, out of this all this darkness that we can come out. But, you know, one thing that I've been very interested in is, you know, like representations of queer and people of color in the media. And, you know, the fact that we have, you know, these people like Viola Davis and we have these people like Laverne Cox and, you know, people, um, you know, living their truth and out there and being, uh, who they are and and showing represent and and representing their identities uh, is very very important. These people in the media that are 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 calling out racism and sexism, xenophobia and homophobia when it's when it's there, and you know and Janet Mock and all these people. And now I'm ranting a little bit, but um, I think in general to kind of sum it up is that the the LGBT community, the queer community, uh, you know the community of color. 
there's definitely this cohesion and this group effort and this working together and this understanding of intersectional identities and this understanding that, you know, system of oppressions don't just affect, um, you know, those under that label, but affect all of us. You know, sexism affects men just as much as women, uh, and it disadvantages our whole society. And that can be said for any axis of oppression. And so, you know, the fact that that language and that, you know, ideas are out there and people are understanding that, I think is just such a beautiful thing. You know, the fact that Black Lives Matter is with the queer movement and the queer movement is enabling, uh, you know, the feminist movement and all these people are in conversation with one another. And then you add the media on top of that. I think it's a beautiful thing. And I think, you know, I hope that is something that is continue continues these next four years. Uh, we'll see. Time will tell. But, you know, if anything, we have a beautiful momentum to build off of. Yeah, I definitely agree with the representation, um, how important that is and how just like there's a show called Steven Universe that's about, it's like one of the gayest shows I've ever watched. It's so good. It's very like, like um, all the characters are female identifying and there's a lot of lesbian relationships and it's not like hinted at. It's like, and it's a children's show. And so I think it's pretty great that children are growing up with at least like seeing queer people and seeing queer people and it's not like the only thing about them is queer it's like they're just queer and they're, they're kicking ass their lives, yeah, yeah they're kicking ass yeah. they're like saving the world and doing like and it's about like love and um like respect and consent and i think that that's such a good like uh representation and it's at such a like for children too which i think is even more important what's the show called steven universe steven universe um yeah. and also i think it's really interesting and just kind of things that I've seen and things that I've have gotten more attention I think they've always been around but they've starting to get more attention of like for me I, I mean I'm talking about gender a lot but I think it's so interesting or how both sexuality and gender are like a spectrum and we were talking about early of like like I was straight in high school or I was I've been kind of straight and I've been kind of gay and sometimes I'm really gay and two days <laughs> later I'm really straight and kind of depends on the day of the week depends on the year depends on I'm always pretty gay yeah <laughs> there's always that gayness but especially being someone who's I don't use the term bisexual I don't like it but that I am in a relationship with a man I date women I kind of do both sometimes I'm only doing one sometimes I'm only doing the other and I think it's really important for us to recognize that and to I think it's really cool that in at least queer people I know are kind of I know a lot of people that are gender non-conforming and that are like well yeah I'm kind of queerish I'm gay I don't know like yeah. I think what's a lot better to be that the future is not just you're gay, straight, or bisexual, or you're a man or you're a woman or you're a transgender man or a woman. There's so much more in between, and I think mm -hmm. that is the future of yeah. the queer um, community, of recognizing that and accepting that and being like, well, I feel, I don't, personally, I do not associate myself with any kind of masculinity, but I define my femininity in a way that may incorporate things that we see as masculine. So maybe the way I dress could be, some people might say, it's androgynous or something. But to me, I'm that's how I represent my femininity. It's just maybe someone else could see it in a different way. And I think we need to really challenge sexualities and genders that we were taught as like our binaries and that are stagnant and that are like fixed. And we need to really kind of question how our identities and kind of let there be more fluidity, I think. Yeah. I think Desmond and Laura covered the queer community <laughs> very well. So I'm going to go take another stab at the question before because I thought of another policy um, that I think is super important and I think that the Netherlands is awesome on, which is education. 
because I think the just sex education in the Netherlands in general is just so much more open and positive and not meant to scare people. And I think it just leads to such a more positive conversation about sex in general, but also about queerness. Because in I remember in high school, I was never taught about what homosexuality was. It was the, I, the only time I remember it being brought up in the context of like a health class was with AIDS. Like, oh, AIDS was this awful thing. If you have unprotected sex, you might get AIDS. And by the way, it killed a lot of gay people in 1980s a lot of gay men in the 1980s like that's that was my what i learned about gayness in school and i think it's important that children are taught from a super duper young age like about sexuality and about gender and about all these things and it's unfortunate because all of the people politicians that would be against that are the ones that need that course themselves they need the like everyone against like the the gender unicorn or the whatever, the all that literature, they should be the ones reading it because they don't understand it themselves. And it's sad. But I think education is such a big deal. I don't think it's going to happen at a national level in, a, in, in the near future. But I think at the local level, like that's something definitely I'm going to look into when I go back in D.C. because like the COC here, I know they have representatives go to schools and d- openly discuss queerness, gayness, their identities with students in various levels of education and I think that's incredible. I remember having this uh, this class. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I remember yeah. now. Yeah. So, um I know a lot of you are going back very soon and we're all sad. Mm-hmm. But um but how do you look back here on your time in Amsterdam? Yeah, I mean it's been great. I wish one thing I keep thinking is that I wish I had more time here. You know, I only have a couple of days left and I'll be spending it writing papers and doing exams, which is unfortunate. But um, yeah, like my time here has been great. I mean, uh, you know, I've already started to say some tearful goodbyes. You know, people have already, uh, you know, headed back to the States or, you know, you know, last meetings with people because I know I'm going to be booked up in the library for the next couple of days. And, you know, let me just say my goodbyes now. Um, and I've realized I've made great friends and you know I'm I'm appreciative for Amsterdam for providing a space for me to do that because you know there's a lot of spaces out there there's a lot of places and countries that you know I, w- I would go in this I would not have the same experience and um, you know I'm just blessed and thankful that I ended up here and whatever twist of fate <laughs> landed me and on Jan van Gallenstraat where I live. <laughs> One thing real quick just to add is I think maybe one memory that I think will be like really important is biking home drunk mm-hmm. and you're like alone and there's oh, no cars out <laughs> and like just like it's quiet it's like two oh, in the morning yeah. and you're biking home drunk and like it's cold but you're hot because you've been biking oh. and just kind of oh. like it's kind of like a very serene like kind of like a mm. meditative kind of thing you're like yeah. like I just had a good night I get to go home and be alone in my room and like chill the fuck out like go to bed or like watch TV and just kind of like be lazy and that kind of like I think that's a really nice place to be, especially when I have to cross this bridge and it's like very beautiful and I kind of just like chill. Like it's like, I'm like, ah, stressing, biking, like stuff. And then I'm like, okay, like I live in Amsterdam. Like I'm drunk biking home at two in the morning. Like I could not do this anywhere else. So like that's, I think, yeah, there's no cars out. There's no, you don't have to worry. Yeah. It's also nice after a bad night if you're crying, just just like seeing there, like seeing all the beautiful things and there's no one really around. You're just biking. It's just, it's really, like you said, meditative and fun. Whether you're happy or really sad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really sad that I'm leaving. 
I it's bittersweet because obviously I miss people back home, but I loved my time here. I think most of my memories are going to be associated with the people I've met who have been just awesome, both American friends and friends in Asvage. Just like th- those are probably what I'm going to remember the most. And it was like you guys said, it was just so cool just like living in Europe for like four months. And then like for me, I never before coming here considered living in your, anywhere other than the United States. My parents are ju- just got to the U.S. Like we ne- I, it was just wasn't a conception in my mind that I could maybe want to live somewhere else. And now coming here and just seeing how, how just how I like it and how I seem to fit and how I just everything feels right sort of made me question things. And I think it's broadened my perspectives on so many issues and so many topics. The classes I've took have been pretty good too. I mean, it's just overall been really nice. I wish I had some more time. Yeah. But alas, all good things come to an end at some point. But I hope I'm back at some point in some way for sure. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming. And um, it was our first time in Asvage as well. and. We've made friends, international friends, a lot of international friends, and um, you have broadened our horizon as well. So thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs>